Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Welcome to the after party. It's time to change. You're just getting started. You can teach an old dog new ways and not just on Saturday. Hey guys, it's Anna David here with the After Party Pod. I'm recording this in a in a weird position. I'm sitting on the floor with the two mics in front of me, and the reason I'm doing that is that I have a fancy new recording studio. And when I say fancy new recording studio, what I actually mean is that I got a table and chairs for my office, and there's just enough room to put that said table and said chairs in the office and and sit there and, and do a podcast interview like it's an actual studio. But there's no easy way to put both mics. It's a very small table, basically. So, so for the intro and the outro, I want you to know that I'm sitting on the floor. Now, today's podcast, we have a sponsor. Are you excited? I'm excited, especially because that sponsor is audible.com, which is one of my favorite websites. I love downloading Audible books and listening to them. Um, Right now, I am listening to Night Train by Martin Amos, and it's read by Linda Hamilton of Terminator fame. And it's so good. I, um, it takes a special kind of ebook, uh, sorry, uh, hello, audiobook for me to get really into it. And I liked it because all of Amos's stuff, almost all of it, is a Brit, and here we've got an American, and it's 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 a mystery. Anyway, here's the crazy thing: you can get that for free. I had to pay money for it, but because this podcast is brought to you by Audible, and you are listening to this podcast, you can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial just by going to audibletrial.com slash after party pod there's over 150,000 titles to choose from and you can listen on your iphone which is what i do your android androids do you guys have androids maybe you do i used to um your kindle or your mp3 player and also your your ipod oh i guess that's an mp3 player anyway check it out go there support the show that way hey so my guest today I'm terribly excited to tell you, is Alonzo Bodden. Now, I was very happy when he said yes to, to, to coming on this podcast. I'm, a, I'm an actual fan of his, and I'm a cynical sort, so I'm not a fan of that many people. And um, I heard him speak in, the, in a meeting. Um, we talked very much about this, so I'm not outing him in some inappropriate way to say he was speaking in a meeting. And he was he's great. He's an incredibly nice guy which is not always the case 
when you're a comedian, a successful comedian, which he is. He won season three of Last Comic Standing. He's hosted a bunch of television series, including 101 Cars You Must Drive and America's Worst Driver. And he's been on, like, every single late-night show, like The Tonight Show, Conan O'Brien, Craig Kilborn, Comedy Central Presents. He has been in movies, like Bringing Down the House and Scary Movie 4. And he is, you know, he is a very much a working comic. He uh, got his big break at the Montreal Just for Laughs Comedy Festival. And this is a real tale of somebody getting sober and pursuing their dreams. This is a guy who had absolutely no no interest even in being a stand-up comedian. And he, he found this meeting right when he got sober, which is... Um, hell of a long time ago we're talking decades and and the meeting was made up of industry folk not famous industry folk but but industry folk and um and and many people who who come in the program will will see i didn't say this to him but i meant to say it to him it's if you share in a, in a program i'm not going to say it's an easy laugh the crowd but they want to laugh and so it uh can be really encouraging and so, but few of us who get laughs, you know, and it's not like we're trying to like crack jokes in meetings. It's just that some of the stuff we go through is funny. And, you know, the most common reason we laugh is we relate to things. So there's a lot of that. Anyway, he is one of the few who was able to discover he had that gift and then make it into an entire career. So I think that's incredibly motivating. Sure, you know, it's inspiring to me. I imagine... It will be inspiring to you. So with that, I'm going to give you Alonzo Baden. I first started taking drugs by chewing blocks of hash. Oh, my God. I think my copy has, like, blood stains on it from shooting up while reading it. Party animal. I hate to say that because that makes me sound Paris Hilton. I was on the, as right. I call it, the Autobahn to nowhere. I'm very lucky because would you have wanted to have a celebrity junkie for a dad? Um, I always ask people because I've made the mistake of launching in and, and being like, "I know you from that meeting." And they're like, Ugh. Yeah. "Yeah, no, I don't, I don't care." Um, so how long are you sober? Twenty six years. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I know. Before you were born. Uh, well, I wish. I, I wish or that was close true. to. It depends on how you define close <laughs> to, really. Um, but so you got sober at ten. Um, no, no, I was 26 when I got sober. Wow. And it's one of my full circle experiences when I got sober. And when I got sober, 26 was relatively young. Like yeah. Now a lot of people are getting sober as teenagers. But I know. back then I was one of the younger. But I, I knew guys who had been sober longer than I was alive. Yeah. Which fascinated me. And yeah. now I speak, especially when I do young people events. Yeah. I've been sober longer than they've been alive. You know what I think? I think the average age is 30. To get sober? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, now. now. Yeah. Because, you know why? Because drugs are a lot more involved. Yeah. And you can't do drugs as long as you can drink. True. True. That's what I, that, that's my theory anyway. Well, and also, well, no, this wouldn't, well, they crack down more on drunk driving. Yeah. Everybody yeah, in LA. Yeah, drunk driving is not accepted. The way you could kind you of get out. off. You missed out. I know. I know. Well, I had this crazy experience. I mean, I drove drunk constantly. 
Um, and one time I went to an after hours on Hollywood Boulevard having parked my car, driven to it drunk, parked my car on probably right around here on some of the, one of these side streets, got out, thought I might die on Hollywood Boulevard, flagged down a cop and said, I can't find my car anywhere. Can you drive me around till I find my car? I was with my friend. He drove, he drove, he was two guys, drove us around. We were smoking cigarettes in the back. And until we found my car. Yeah, that's, that's an advantage of being a young, pretty white woman. I'm going to just tell you that the brothers don't do that. <laughs> you don't, that never nah, happened to you? we don't flag down the cop and say, hey, <laughs> I can't find my car. Drive me around till I find one I like. Yeah, no, that's not good. But, but I mean, <laughs> it still is strange. No, I, no, I know what you mean. But it, it has, yeah, it's definitely changed. I, in the 80s, I got sober in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And in the 80s was when drunk driving, it was like when MAD got started, mm-hmm. and drunk driving started to be the worst thing you mm-hmm. could do. But, uh, yeah, I remember, I, I mean, a lot of friends, like, I never got caught, I was lucky, but a lot of friends of mine used to get caught drunk driving, and it was like, you got a fine, I think you paid, like, $500. Like you know, what we paid for parking tickets. had to go to a tickets. class or something. Yeah. One, but you only had to go like once. Yeah. Like it was like um, traffic school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they were like, oh, drink, drive some more. And you had to do it two or three times before it was really considered like you've got a problem. Yeah. You know, now, well, I taught traffic school in, I guess, around 96, 97, whatever. So and, like the, uh, one of those comedy traffic schools? Yeah, I taught one of awesome. those. And they said then that a DUI would cost you $10,000. By the time you added up fines, court costs, the school you had to go to, missed time at work, blah, 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 the average cost for a DUI was ten grand. Well, if you look at it like, and then it gets you a $10,000 big book, cheaper than a lot of the rehabs yes, today. Yes, Well, yeah, cheaper than a lot of rehabs here. That was another thing. When I got sober, we used to joke about Betty Ford being the $50,000 big book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now, that's just one month in... Oh, that's know. a cheap big book. <laughs> you know, no, it's, it's still not. Um, but, so, so no treatment for you. I went to an outpatient place, and I can't even remember the name of it. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened was, I was working at Lockheed Aircraft, um, which I had bounced around in the aerospace industry back then, and I finally went to rehab, because I was going to get fired for missing work, because... Mm-hmm. They paid on Thursdays, and I'm a crackhead. Mm-hmm. And you can't pay crackhead Thursday and expect me to be there Friday. Yeah. That's not even my fault. Yeah, yeah, no, not at all. Did, how dare they? Yeah. But anyway, I was going to get fired, so I went to the company employee assistance program. They sent me to an outpatient place. I lasted about two weeks because I wasn't, you know, I didn't care about sobriety. I just wanted the job. Yeah. And then I went on another run. I got laid off, and I was going to... Um, my thing was doing geographics. Like yeah. I would just bounce city to city working on airplanes. And when I got laid off, I was ready to go to Tennessee. I had a job lined up, some little company called FedEx. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I got uh, busted, and that had never happened before. I, I got busted on a side street in Van Nuys trying to buy crack. And when I went to jail that night, that was my bottom. That's when it hit that. Like, this isn't where I'm supposed to be. And um, that's when I, as in my story, I tell, and it's true, I mean, that's when I became willing right. to get sober. So I got out of jail. The next day, it was Sunday. Got drunk because I didn't know what to do. Yeah. And Monday, I went to 
back to the outpatient place and that led me to there was a panel in there beautiful girl on the panel mm -hmm. don't know what she talked about just mm -hmm. checking her out she was from New York I was from New York mm -hmm. so, and I, I hit on her after the meeting it was really funny and she was like well I'm married but there are women like me that go to a place called Studio 12 and I didn't know where it was but it was now my home group yeah. <laughs> so I, I went to Studio 12 I met the guys um, to sit down shut up and listen yeah you're Cotton. just a newcomer Take the cotton and out of your yeah, yeah. Mouth, ears and put it in your mouth. Yep, yep. And they were they were great, and I, and they're the ones who got me sober. Those and I'm still friends with some of those guys. My sponsor's one of those guys. The whole time? No, I've time? had two sponsors, and it's very very weird. The two sponsors I've had, they both just happen to be Emmy award winning costumers. Really? So, isn't that a strange thing? It yeah, is. yeah. It um, is. Yeah, uh, well, one of them, he's a direct TV director now, but Studio 12, we always joke that the stars went to Betty Ford and the crew went to Studio 12. <laughs> Is it uh, still around? Yeah, it's still around, but not in a, it's not like a recovery home anymore. Now they just have meetings. Right. Um, but, yeah, it was it was where they sent, you know, all the craftspeople, the, the costumers and the lighting and the camera and the makeup artists and this and that that was where they were all sent to Studio 12 and so uh, I fumbled in there and I, I absolutely love those guys yeah. those guys taught me how to stay sober but what they also did was they opened up the entertainment industry to me so had you always wanted to be a comic? no never before never wanted it before it was a latent talent Mm -hmm. I could always make people laugh, but I never really thought about doing it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then you start speaking at meetings, right? And it, and it's funny. And it wasn't even like, I wasn't intentionally, I never tried to be funny at meetings. Mm -hmm. It would just come out. It was just my way of saying it. And I was very comfortable in the front of the room. Mm -hmm. And then I started teaching aerospace at McDonnell Douglas. And that's when I really decided that I wanted to be a comic because I would be teaching the class and making them laugh and, and loving it. And I love that more than the teaching. Yeah, and, and I, that's not a funny subject. I no, think. but it, it has to be to keep them awake. Yeah. It's the yeah. only way. It's like traffic like school. Yeah, yeah. You have to be funny to keep them awake. And um, I decided I wanted to be a comic. A girlfriend I had at the time gave me an ad for a comedy writing class. Mm -hmm. And the graduate, you know how they say we're driven by fear? Mm -hmm. My fear was being the only one doing it the first time. Mm -hmm. So I figured if I do the class, everyone's doing it the first time. Right, right. And, uh, yeah, I did that. I did the five-minute show and mm -hmm. was just absolutely hooked. From that moment, there was never any doubt in my mind that this is what I was going to do. Right. And and Studio 12, where that came in, was just when you're not in the entertainment business, especially if you're not from L.A., it's like a foreign world. It's mm -hmm. like... Okay, we had insane technical difficulties that involved... Alonzo being incredibly kind, a walk to CES. Yeah, that's that's not incredibly kind. No, I, it was. Know, I gave my brother a kidney, and people say that was incredibly kind. It, I'll take that, but a walk to the drugstore. Well, I didn't know that not, the kidney. Well, it's not quite the same, but thank you. Well, I really appreciated <laughs> it. I, um, yes. Um, so, okay, and where you were in the story was... Only a not very important point, your life changing in jail. Right, right. So, so, um, well, we got past, I think we got past the jail part, and then I. Oh, yeah, yeah, we I were got in sober, Studio right, 12. I got sober, right. I'm at Studio 12, 
and I want to be a comic. Yeah. And and what I was saying is the entertainment business when you're not in it right. is like a foreign entity. Right. right. Like like last night was the Emmys. Yeah. And there you have the people who stand behind the rope. And I always say that's the whole thing. People want to get inside the rope. Yeah. You know. Totally. So uh, but the fact that I was at Studio 12, I knew people who were in an entertainment business, and they liked their work, and that was a weird thing to me, because I came from the, you know, I was raised, you go to school, you get a job, right, and yeah. work was something you did, you didn't like it, like, that never came up, I did like working on planes, but it never came up as that was a criteria, and I noticed these people, like, they like going to work, yeah. and then the other thing that I noticed I call it the No Visible Means of Support Club. Mm-hmm. And you go to the noon meetings, <laughs> right? And you see Mercedes and Porsches and yeah. designer clothes. Hey, what do they do? They don't, they don't do anything. They're here. Yeah. They don't even work. Yeah. You know? so, so anyway, um, so I wanted to be a comic. My sponsor at the time, uh, clothing guy, uh, wardrobe guy, said, I asked him, I said, can I? He said, you can do it. He said, And he said something that was very prophetic, that has always stayed with me. He said, you know, when you get into the entertainment business, when you're in a meeting, never be surprised when you realize you're the smartest person in the room. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because we got a business where people fail up. Absolutely. <laughs> but a lot of businesses are like that. Yeah, that's fair. true. That's yeah. true. But anyway, so, so I started it. I took the comedy class. I did the five minutes. And I absolutely decided this was what I was going to do. And then I just started, you know, doing open mics and and working any and everywhere I could. And I got my first big break at Just for Laughs in Montreal. And getting in it was the big break? Well, yeah, yeah. And that was, um, uh, it was, it's a very, is it a very, I hate to say alcoholic thinking, but uh, maybe it is, maybe it yeah, isn't. Probably. It, but this is this is how it went down. Getting getting and remember I did this in ninety seven, right? So I did it back when Just for Last was still about getting a deal. Uh-huh. So, um and, and I don't know if we have time, this podcast is only an hour, so we may not even have time to get into my women issues. But anyway. Oh, come on, that's what I want to start with. Anyway, uh, my girlfriend at that time, this girl Heather, she had been a uh, child actress and then she had been a soap star, and, mm-hmm. and now she was out of the business. But she, she, she knew I was going for it, right? I get the uh, call for the audition for Just for Laughs, and I do my showcase, and this is in March. Mm-hmm. Now, with new faces, they don't tell you you got it until June. Like, back then, right. they used to work at keeping it a secret. Mm-hmm. So I'm waiting, and it's in the back of my mind. I... I um, had a great job. I was a driver for Power Rangers. It was a really fun job. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was selling cars. You know, you're hustling. You're doing whatever you can until to, to comedy makes it. So I get the call to that, you know, and they were like, you got it. You're going to New Faces. And I hung up the phone and I was like, I got to get a deal. And she was like, really? She was like, not even a minute to celebrate yeah. that you got in. Just instantly you have to. And I was like, yeah, like why right. would I, you know, why would I enjoy any, I haven't done anything yet. Right, right. So, um, that, I always remember that because it's hard for me to celebrate success, you know, so, um. Yeah. Anyway, I, oh. Well, Question. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I found that I used whatever minor success I had before I got sober as an excuse because I didn't know how to feel happy yeah and and so I'm like well that's a 
got to celebrate with Coke. And I knew it was sad. Yeah, I um, maybe if I was still using... See, I mistimed my sobriety completely because I got sober. I mean, by the time I did New Faces, I had nine years of sobriety. And, and career-wise, I should have walked out of the house on Last Comic Standing and into rehab. That would have been the perfect time for me to go to rehab as a career move. Well, <laughs> I, I had John Heffron on recently. And I, I love Heff. Yeah, yeah, and he got sober right after. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah, but, but he didn't it, do it. It, it wasn't, wasn't a big deal. It wasn't right after though. It wasn't. It was a little while. And yeah, Heff didn't. He didn't flame out publicly. No, um, he burned some. You know, he he burned some bridges, but nothing spectacularly public. Yeah, if, to the point that he and I were sort of Twitter friends, and he mentioned coming on the podcast, and I wrote it back, and I was like, you're not sober. Yeah, and he he's is. like, yeah, I am. Yeah, I had is. no idea. Well, it's not as public with Hef. He yeah. You know, he doesn't talk about it, and he doesn't do a lot of, like, I do a lot of, uh, you know, um, convention yeah. and speaking stuff and things like that. I don't think he does that as much. Yeah. So people don't know about it. Yeah. Much. But yeah, Hef's... Uh, that's sober and funny. So, so you mean that it would have been more of a story? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I would have, I would have been, a, would have been a name. Would have been. We'll get to that. You became a name from that. We'll get. Yeah, it was good, but uh, it could but have been bigger. We're back up to new faces because yeah. new faces was that was my biggest one. People yeah. think last comics the biggest. New faces was my biggest moment in comedy, and I went up there and I did my set and it, my my. Manager at the time, Rick Rogers, is also happens to be sober, doesn't mind, he's yeah. public about it. So, the setting is, that it was in a sort of horseshoe-shaped theater with a balcony, uh-huh. and industry's in the balcony, audience is downstairs, industry is industry, right, indifferent, mm-hmm. too, too cool for school, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. So I do this joke, I said, I don't like hockey, and the crowd, and I said, shut up, I don't like hockey, because the only thing black is the puck. <laughs> and every time I look, they hit it with a stick. Right? So everybody's cracking up. So after the show, Rick comes running downstairs, running downstairs. And he grabs me and he's like, you are about to make a ton of fucking money. And the key word is ton of fucking. Wow. And he said, at new, he said when you were performing at New Faces of Comedy and you told the audience to shut up, he said, everybody upstairs, stop what they were doing looked down and said, who is that? That's amazing. Yeah, that was, it was, but the bigger moment for me with that was being, that's when I was accepted as a comic Mm -hmm. because I had been working at like as a doorman at the Laugh Factory and doing fallout spots and Mm -hmm. this and that. Well, Dom Herrera was hosting New Faces and Barry Katz was there and Pat Buckles, all these people who I had known and seen from the Laugh Factory. And once I did New Faces, they treated me as a comic. Right. So, and that's what was big to me, to be accepted by these people. Like, now I'm really a comic because right. all these greats and whatever, powerful, whatever, they accepted me. So that that was big. And then from there, it was, you know, um, you go on the road. I'm, I mean, I got a deal. I didn't know what I was doing. I learned a lot about how TV worked, but it was it was nice to get a big fat check. So you got a deal. So so that guy who ran down Rick, yeah. got you a deal. Yeah, yeah. He, like, William Morris signed me. I got a deal. 
it was fun for a year because for a year I was like important, uh-huh. you know, and you know when it's over, right? Because for that year when I'd go William Morris, something would come up, I'd go down there and the assistant runs downstairs yeah. and they walk you up. Can I get you anything? Water? Or a receptionist perhaps. Yeah. You'd like your own. We can, we can give her to you for 15 minutes, blah, 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 right? And then once the deal expires and they don't renew the deal, it's like, yeah, have a seat. Someone will be with you. Yeah, no, we don't validate parking. Yeah, I, I was at William <laughs> Morris uh, for a couple of years as a book writer, so you can't imagine how long I waited in that lobby yeah, for yeah. my book to film agent. <laughs> you know, I think I was an hour and a half yeah. once. Yeah, so, uh, but you know, it's, it's, yeah, and you learn that's just part of the business. There's nothing to it except that it's part of the business. They're in it to make money yeah. and to build their name, and if, they think you can do that. They love you. Yeah. And if you can't, then so long. Yeah. You know. But uh, but it was cool. It was it was a good time in that I became a really good comic in those years, um, and I've gotten to work with the best, literally the best in the business, and held my own all the time. I mean, it, it, like that's the the best thing I get out of this is the respect of the greatest comics. I, I really appreciate that. I haven't made the millions of dollars or, you know, or that had the TV show or starred in the movie. And that bothers me sometimes. It's frustrating sometimes. But, you know, when, when you get, for me, like working with, you know, Dom Herrera and, and Louis Black and George Wallace and any, any of those guys. And they're like, yeah, you're, you're like, I'm one of them, you know, right. when I'm hanging out, when I'm working with them. That's that's big to me. But yet you didn't grow up like most comedians I know, you know, Steve Martin, whoever, just like obsessing over these guys. No, no, I wish, you know, some, I shouldn't say I wish. Sometimes I wonder what would have happened if I had gone straight into comedy. Yeah. You know, I remember George Wallace said to me once, he said, man, if you'd have started in the 80s, you'd have been big. You'd have made a ton of money because you're good. Because in the early 90s and mid-90s when I was started, that's when comedy was, like, dropping. You know? Oh, really? It was, yeah, it had, the, the 80s was when it was, you know, there was a club on every corner and they were paying opening acts 2000 bucks a week and blah, blah, blah. You know, that was... And then comedy kind of went through a, a drop-off. You know, there was Def Jam was a big show, but I'm not a Def Jam-style comic, mm-hmm. so that didn't do a lot for me. And that, that was the other thing. I'm the, like, mainstream black comic, right? Mm-hmm. Which is the hardest sell. It, it, you wouldn't think so. Oh, I wouldn't no, think it's, so. It's a, Why? It's a, because neither side really knows what to do with you, right? They, see, in the black comedy side, they're like, you're not black enough. You're not hard enough. You're not from the hood. You know, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then on the white comedy side, they're like, well, you're black. That scares us. Right. You know? right. So you, you fall in between. You fall into this crack. Now... The good thing was, and the really encouraging thing was, when I got frustrated, because you, you got to remember when Def Jam was big, you know, a lot of black comedy was just like, fuck, fuck, motherfucker, fuck, the bitch, fuck, fuck, but, mm-hmm. you know, that was it. it. It was, there were some great comics that came out of it, don't get me wrong, there were some that were great, you know, Bernie Mac and, and guys like that, uh, but a lot of it was just repetitive bullshit, right? Mm-hmm. And... But when you went up in front of a crowd, that's what the crowd wanted to hear. Right. 
and because I didn't do that, it would, you know, let's just say it didn't go well all mm-hmm. the time. But I, I remember two guys, one a comic named Speedy, an L.A. comic, who was like big in the L.A. scene, didn't make it really big in the mm-hmm. national scene, and Cedric the Entertainer, who obviously is, is a big star. Mm-hmm. And I remember both of them saying to me, like, man, don't worry, do what you do. He said, yeah. they wish they could do what you're doing right now. He said, just, they said, just keep doing it. And that was really encouraging because when you're, you're new, when you're doing comedy four or five years, you're three, four years, you don't have any confidence yet. Yeah. You're still just trying to make the audience laugh. And, yeah. and I could always make them laugh, but it, it's a matter of, I, I don't know, there, there's something that I wasn't getting or wasn't, you know, but, but anyway, I stuck with it and it came around. And, I, and you, when I knew it came around, one of my f- funny, you remember moments, right? You mm-hmm. remember things that are really funny. After I had done Last Comic Standing, I'm hanging out in front of the Laugh Factory, and this this guy, brother, walks by, like, totally thugged out, you know, pants, five sizes, too big, mm-hmm. hoodie, you can't see his face the whole bit, and he just walks by, and he, he just went, yo, man, that white girl joke you did, that shit was funny, and just <laughs> kept walking, and I was like, I'm in. Yeah, that's <laughs> you know? awesome. I'm in. So, so I've had, I've had some great experiences. And, okay, and so, last comic, and, 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 and what I really want to know, too, it, about this period is how much your sobriety played into it, and, and how Huge. much having eight years sober, so you're not getting it right away. Right. You know, it was huge. This was the thing, this was the thing with last comic. I go to a, to a, uh, my home group's a men's stag on Monday nights. Mm-hmm. And I love this meeting because this is one of those meetings that I have 26 years, they're like, yeah, have a seat. Yeah, 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 yeah. When you yeah, get some time, yeah. let us know. <laughs> they, they, I mean, it's, I, and a lot of these guys I've known since the day I got sober, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, um, and it's great. Well, Right before we went, when I did last comic, we lived in the house. We had to live in the castle oh, yeah, yeah. for for three weeks, and and the producers very manipulative, trying to create yeah. fights, trying to create drama, stuff like that. Well, before I went in, this guy Cliff, who's one of the Cliff's almost fifty years sober, and he's like, you know, one of those guys, mm-hmm. right? and he just stood at the podium. He said, "Day at a time, fuck it," and I was like. When they when it would get on my nerves, I'd remember it's just a day at a time. Yeah. Fuck it. Yeah. I would just remember that. Like no matter what any of this bullshit that they're doing, it's just a day at a time. Sobriety has always been the backbone of it. You know, when people say that, man, you're humble, you you know, it's like, well, I go to meetings with guys who've won Emmys and Oscars and some of them are very rich and mm-hmm. and it's like I just want a reality show. Like I can't I can't go swinging dick like yo man. I won last comedy standing. Really, right. really? Because the producer or the producer of that show used to work for me. Now <laughs> yeah. shut up, sit down. You know, it, it's it's very much sobriety provides perspective. Yeah, and, well, in both ways. Yeah. And what I what I noticed, I was new, and the people that talked about what they did. Uh, you know, in entertainment, were never that successful. It was the ones who you never knew what they did yeah. that were the big guns. I've always said, if you're doing it, you're too busy to talk about it. Yeah. You know this business. When you're working, you know, especially in film and TV, you're working 12, 15 hours a day every day. You don't have time to go brag. 
Yeah. You're tired. You're like, I want to go to sleep, you know. And and you're right. The most successful, and it's the same thing in meetings, you know. The the superstars seem to be very humble and yeah. just be a part of, and they don't. And I'm talking, you know, as you well know, Oscar winners. Yeah. And and you know, musicians. I, I met. Um, well, he's, it's not a secret. Yeah, that he's, he's sober. He's Eric Clapton. Tyler. Oh, yeah. No, and and it was the funniest thing. His he's friends of a friend of mine. He's like, hi, I'm Eric. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I know. Yeah. You know, and he, but that's just who he is at meetings. You yeah. Know? And, and you're like, this guy is like, he's famous everywhere. Like some yeah. people are famous. Like Eric Clapton's famous in Yugoslavia. Yeah. And Rio and Moscow and you know what I mean. Like this is and. Just humble, and that 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 is very cool. It's you learn a lot from that, especially now in the culture of sober companions and yeah, you know, and all over Radar magazine. Yeah, I remember um, a big a, an Oscar winner at, speaking at a meeting and um, walking out and warmly greeting by name a guy who is who drives me insane, who drives everybody insane, mm-hmm. you know, and is is crazy and doesn't know it and 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 this guy just being like hey how are you buying it it just yeah 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 so it's uh yeah so for me that's been where sobriety's been it's been the perspective it's been the constant um i speak at meetings because i'm a comic Mm -hmm. and and which means it's not that i'm always funny but I'm comfortable speaking in front of a group and I know how to do it and that's why they choose us to do it. The comics are asked to speak a lot because right. they're like, well, we know you can talk. And also, you know, and what about you do it to be, well, this doesn't really go with humility, to be inspiring to people who have a dream and are in L.A. Yeah, that's the that's the side benefit. You mm-hmm. know, I, I do it because I'm asked to do it. I'm do, I do it because they taught me that's how to be of service. And what I've learned over the years is we all have different gifts, yeah. and that's mine. Yeah. Because you you know like there are some people who sponsor, and they the good one and they sponsor a bunch of people yeah. always because they're good at it. And then you have the organizers. Yeah. Who I admire the most thankless job is organizing sober events, whether it be oh, a yeah. convention, a fundraiser, or whatever. Yeah. Because you're only the only reason you do it is people to complain to you at the event about what you did wrong. That's the only reward you get right. is being told what you didn't do. Yeah. But the same people do it all the time. And yeah. they do a great job. So so speaking happens to be my gift. So I, I get requested to do it and I do it. Have you ever been secretary of a meeting? Yeah, but I wasn't good at that at all. Really? No, not at all. No, because, I, because I'm from a different time in sobriety. So when they had the thing of let's thank them, let's thank the newcomers for coming, let's thank them again. Like, no. Right, they weren't clapping. No, we're not going to thank everybody every week for everything. We're going to thank the speaker and the commitment, and we're going to move on. Yeah. And they didn't like that. They didn't like Oh, you tried to change it. Yeah, they didn't like my. No, no. They didn't like my ways. I mean, you got to remember, I'm I'm sober before the 18-month chip. Right. There's an eight. I didn't yeah, know there CA was an eight. has an eighteen month. Trip. Okay, okay. I'm sober before the eighteen month trip. I'm sober so. before the fourth edition. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Your third edition. Very yeah, good. Third, so page four forty nine was the That's page, right. and they freaking moved, they moved that it. page. How they could they? It. So 
Okay, and so you, it's interesting what you said about being at that Studio 12 and, and these people who worked in the entertainment industry because I wonder sometimes if I would have gotten sober or at least or gotten sober and lo- loved it if I hadn't been around these funny, you know, gregarious, oftentimes publicly successful people. Yeah, it's... um. See, I'm, I'm I'm on both sides of the fence with that because I like a lot of times going to meetings with regular people. For sure. People who work. and Because when you go to the the meetings that are predominantly show business, what's funny to me are like, boy, if you ever had real problems. Yeah. You know, like, like uh, there was this one actress who would complain about mundane shit, you know, getting her fence fixed or something in her house or this or that and, and, and she's like a multi multi millionaire right. and I always wanted to just raise my hand and say pay someone Yeah. just hire somebody to fix all that shit you do not have a problem Yeah. you are never allowed to have a problem with your house or your car or your, because you can pay someone to, so just do that you know yeah. you just want to say like come back to the real world and where you know and, and, and I get it I get it we all have problems especially when it's something like emotional Physical or money doesn't matter yeah. to any of those, but there are a, like I'm fortunate. I make a good living, and there are a lot of problems that I avoid because I make a good living. It's it's like yeah. not having to worry about the rent or the car payment or or whatever is a blessing, and it, and it knocks out a big part of the stress yeah. that people who do worry about that stuff have, and yeah. and so so I have to keep that. In perspective, you know. Well, and it's interesting because you sort of, people will say it doesn't matter, especially in program. People will say it doesn't matter. And I know because last year I made no money Mm -hmm. at all building all this. And this year I make money. And I'm roughly 75% happier. I mean, a lot of stuff shifted. It's a lot easier to be spiritual and grounded when you don't have those concerns. Well, I tell newcomers, if you ever hear somebody say material things don't matter, ask them for their car. Just (laughs) right on the spot. Can I have your car? It doesn't matter to you. It would be huge to me. Yeah. Because I'm on a bicycle. Yeah. I would, you know, and and then you find out like, oh, well, wait a minute. I didn't mean, no, you just said it. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Like, to me, you know, I'm one of the no visible means of support guys. Well, you know, I've yeah, made it over that. Yeah, home. yeah. I mean, it, and, and I'm happy with that. It's cool. You know, my my current sponsor, who's a car collector and and so on. Yeah, he helped me a lot with that, right? And it's always with what you see, not what they say. Yeah. And and I've told this story a million times in in meetings, but he's a Porsche guy, and he always collected Porsches. I always wanted a Porsche. I bought a used Porsche, showed up at a meeting, he was in a Ferrari. <laughs> Just, you know, he reminded me this is the hierarchy. But anyway, we it was a bad year. It's just like you were talking about last year, not yeah. making any money. This particular year, I think it was 2000 or 01, I just couldn't make any real money. Couldn't get a good game. And he wasn't getting any shows. In this. And he sold, you know, he sold like three or four of his cars and he never bitched about it. Yeah. He didn't blame his wife or anything else and I sold mine and he he was like listen when you have it you have them and when you don't you get rid of them and he was and and it was like yeah that's that's all it is they I'm not saying they're not nice it's great when I can do it yeah but also when you can't do it you're just like well that's how it goes you'd be a little hurt you'd be a little upset but yeah in the grand scheme of things I'm still okay 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, but by the way, though, when I said you're okay, when you say no visible means of support, people know who you are. I wouldn't say no visible means. Yeah, of they they know who I am. Well, some know who I am, but but yeah, when you you know, it's just that noon meeting, nice car yeah. thing. It's always been funny to me. It's well, always been but funny. The thi- what about those people? I mean, this is the mystery of L.A. You go to Whole Foods in the middle of the day, and there's these gorgeous women who clearly don't work and are yeah. not mm-hmm. well known. And L.A. is a very easy place to, A, meet the producer who's going on location for six months and is like, sure, yeah, will you dog sit or whatever Mm -hmm. it is. And, you know, I remember being new in AA and there was this guy, he literally was homeless and he was super charming and he would drive in the nicest cars and he would have parties at the nicest places because he was always befriending these, (laughs) you know, incredibly wealthy people who would give it over. Yeah, I know, I know a guy like that. And then a resentment that, um, I think I'm pretty much over, but still comes up now and then is, is alimony. Uh-huh. You know, because you see these, these women, yeah. and they're just what you said. They're living, and they'll complain like, oh, you know, my support check. And I'm like, get a job. Yeah. Like, that's what, you know, you know. But, but like, in their world, that's normal. Like, I'm entitled to be paid because mm-hmm. I look like this yeah. or, or whatever. And yeah. you're just like, wow. Like, yeah. you have no comprehension of the real world. Yeah, I've got, I wrote a book about this. I fictionalized what I learned in doing this detail story yeah. because I'm fascinated by it because the truth of the matter is, well, it was sort of comparing like high class hookers to trophy wives. Right. And, you know, I respect the hookers more because they're being honest. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a weird thing. And there are guys who do it too, but, but it's obviously a lot more women do it. But you know yeah. something too, like I knew in sobriety, I knew a group of women that were kept women. Yeah. Okay. They were they were beautiful, and they each had some rich guy who paid for their apartment yeah. and their car and gave them a credit card and this and that. But and women were like, oh, I like. I was like, no, nah, you don't, because they they have to work that game. Uh, There's rules, yeah. and you wouldn't want to like you wouldn't want to be subject to the rules. Like they're on call at all times. Whenever he calls, you got to drop what you're doing and you got to be there. And you have a limited shelf life. Yeah. You're pretty much 25 to 30. When you start getting around 30, he's looking for your replacement. Yeah. So if you weren't smart enough, now one of them, she got a bunch of jewelry and put away a lot of money and smart. ended up opening a business. She was like yeah. smart, she you knew know. What she was doing. But most of them, it, it's a good run and then it's over. So. I mean, everyone has it. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, look, I'm paid to tell jokes. You know, so right. I mean, it's listen. I know there's more to it than that, but like, like I always joke, like I've done honest work. So this shit, you know, yeah. my my hardest day really ain't that hard. Like it's like acting. You know, whenever Sean Penn talks about how hard he works, yeah, I always want to say, Sean, you know who works hard? The guy who really does the shit you're pretending to do. Yeah, that guy yeah. works his ass. See, you're pretending yeah. to work at Starbucks or to be a soldier or whatever. Like, right. You know that. Talk to the guy who really does that shit. Yeah. That fucker's working. Yeah. No assistance. No trailer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, no catering. Yeah. That, that poor bastard. Finding his own meal. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And 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 actually, I think that's interesting because. Struggling in sobriety is, you know, that terrible year last year. I'm literally grateful every minute. Yeah, and you know, um, I was thinking about that this morning 
gratitude is a weird thing because we find it on different levels. Yeah. And it, you know, it always looks better for the others. And when you're new, and when your fight is just to stay sober another day, you know, we look like we're perfect. You know oh, what I yeah. mean? But they don't see us have that struggle, and they didn't see that struggle. That's what I love about the guys who, you know, I'm 26. That's what I love about the 30-year guys because those were the guys when I came in who had three or four years and remember when it was when I was fighting just to stay sober. You know, my sponsor always says, he said, look, without AA, you're a drunken airplane mechanic. Yeah. Like that's what we had when that's what you that's what you came in with. Yeah. And 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 I always I'm always grateful the program made me who I am. I would not be this. I wouldn't get the gifts that I that I get. You know, like I briefly we talked about me donating a kidney to my brother. Yeah. That's a huge gift because without sobriety, I'm not healthy enough to do that. And that was the big that was the big thing that because the, the doctors were almost raving like like your your kidney was like robust. Yeah. It was like, what are you kidding? I think it took over. He's fine, you know, yeah. and and it, and it absolutely hit me that without sobriety, none of that happened. How long were you sober when that happened? Twenty five. I had just turned twenty five. Yeah, it was last March. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, yeah. And and was it something you immediately rose to the occasion? Oh yeah. It wasn't even a question. My brother and I were we've always been close. We went through that few years when. I was an early teen, like when I'm, you know, 12, 13, and he's 15, 16, and I want to hang out with his friends, and yeah. he don't want me. Yeah. That's the only period of friction we've had. We've always been really close. I was the best man at his wedding, and he's sober also. He has um, a year less than me. Uh, I'll tell that story in a minute because mm-hmm. it was interesting. But anyway, when it came up that he had to go on dialysis, mm-hmm. You know, I just said, well, if I can, you know, I'll give you a kidney. Like, I didn't even think about it. It was yeah. like, yeah, of course, I'll give you a kidney if, if the medical tests work. And we did the tests, and it was fine. And I did it. There was never a, never a question, never a thought about, like, you know, my thing is, like, well, why wouldn't you? Who wouldn't? But it turns out a lot of people wouldn't. People, yeah. You know? Was his kidney bad from? It deteriorated over a, about a 10-year period from high blood pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know why because he's the only one in the family. Like a lot of times, that's a family disease, mm-hmm. and that's what they worried about with taking mine. You know, oh, I had to do a lot of tests, but um, yeah, for whatever reason, his deteriorated, and uh, and we kind of laugh about it because physically, I've been much harder on my body over the years. Mm-hmm. Like he's a he's always been a computer office guy. He plays tennis. He this and you know, whereas I was like. I was a drug, more much more of a druggie than him. He drank and and you know, basketball and bouncing around the country working and like just physically never been taking care of myself. Other than I work out, that's yeah. the only constant. And it was like, yeah, I'm healthy. I don't know what's wrong with him. Yeah, it's a you know, it's a very strange thing. Yeah, but the the interesting thing with sobriety in my first attempt at sobriety was December '87. Now, I live in L.A. My brother lives in New York. We have another friend named Harold who lives in San Francisco. Um, Harold and my brother are the same age. They they were really tight, but, you know, Harold lived across the street. We all know each other. December 87, we all went into rehab, none of us having spoken to the other about it. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, we all went in. And um, like I said, I went out and came back March of 88. My brother went out in December of 88, came back. So he has like a year less than me. And Harold went in and out for a while, but now Harold's got, I don't know, 
15, some, some, you know, like he's sober. But yeah, we all went in at the same month. Did you drink together when you were Yeah, we got loaded together. Yeah. Yeah. But not regularly, but I mean, you know, when we saw each other and stuff like that, yeah. But, but we never talked about it. We never said, man, it's getting bad or anything else. We just all happened to go in at the same time. That there are no coincidences. None. As I remember, you know, when you're new and you hear these things for the first time, and your mind is freaking blown. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, it, it's so funny. Yeah, the perspective when you're new. The first time you hear stuff, and then you remember it. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, it's 26 years later. I still remember things guys said. I remember who said it. Yeah. You know, and it's like, man, that was, and it was. It was genius. Yeah. Do you remember what some of those things were? Oh, absolutely. One of the most profound things, a guy named Mike F. said, you know, we talk about being fearless. He said, you're not going to be fearless. Just sometimes you got to do it scared. Wow. I've never heard that. That was like, yeah, that's what you got to do it scared. You know, um, Hmm. I just wrote a story for The Fix. Well, you know, I helped create that. Okay. And, uh, yeah. Oh, I think I saw that on there. Yeah, they reached out to me to write the story. um, And it basically, it was this girl was at a meeting, and she was just, she was stunning. Uh it, um, It was in my first six months. I don't know how Well, not the stunning girl from... The the one you decided to get sober a different different one different okay. one yeah okay. yeah stunning women have been a part of my attraction story. not promotion exactly. there are beautiful women in AA exactly so she's at this meeting at Studio Twelve so and for some reason I asked her out and I'm not a player I'm not you know it's like the physical outside does nothing to do with the inside the yeah. inside's very small and shy and everything. So I ask her out, and she says, yeah, okay, and she's, she's in a recovery home. Mm-hmm. So I go to pick her up, and it, it was so funny. I opened the door, and it was like, like I could, I just, I, and she looked, she said, yeah, I get that. She was a model. She was a black and Italian. Mm-hmm. Now take the best of both features. Yeah. I describe it today as if Rihanna and Sade somehow morphed right. into one creation. That's what stood before me. And she had it all done up. She had the skin-tight jeans and a little tiny jacket with a little tie. I mean, the whole thing. And and I'm just literally laughing, like, this is impossible. And and she's laughing about it. She was very shit, very cool. So we go out, and I'm like, my whole thing is, I got somebody has to see her. I got to go where my friends go. Like, I got to go where the guys, somebody has to see her. So anyway, we end up hanging out that night. We have a good time, and and it's fun. And then I call that weekend, and she's going back to Italy. She's going back to work as, you know, modeling. So that Monday night, I go to the men's stag, which I still go to to this day. Mm -hmm. And you have to get called on to share at this meeting. Mm -hmm. And and I get called on, and it's one of the first times I'd ever... No, it was the first time I'd ever been called on. And that's big. Mm -hmm. You know, this, this is where heroes go to this meeting. Yeah. And I tell my story about this girl, and they're laughing their asses off. And they're just crying, laughing. And I'm like... And now I can't, I can't get drunk. I gotta drink cokes and listen to, you know, listen to Sade and blah blah blah. <laughs> and they told me read the first line of page sixty nine. Oh yeah. And the first line of ninety six. And I read those, and I, and that's when I learned that. So you know, the so first line of sixty nine is the thing about if we're bothered by these things, we must throw ourselves. No, the no. The first line is if the, if the alcoholic does not respond to basically like they don't respond to your help. 
Then you turn to page 96, it says, seek out another alcoholic. Right, right. So that's what it is. If she, you know, it's like basically, hey, if he or she don't respond, then yeah. you turn to page 96, seek out another alcoholic. I'm yeah. like, oh, okay. And yeah, so I, I remember that. I remember this guy, Marty, another guy who's coming up on 50 years, and I knew him back then. And I, I was like suicidal. I said, man, I feel like killing myself. And he said, congratulations. Mm. You didn't think about using. <laughs> And it, I was like, you're right. And it turned a day around. I was like, yeah. you're right. It's like, I didn't even think about getting yeah, high. Yeah, passed right by it. I thought about killing myself. And he's like, you're getting better. <laughs> and, and you love shit like that because that's the, that's the alcoholic stuff that normal people don't get. Yeah. we absolutely get. Yeah. You know, my, my thing is like, my thing with AA is like, in here, we're going to give you a round of applause the first time you do your laundry. Yeah. Because we know how hard that is. We know you got $3. Yeah. And you pass the liquor store and put the quarters in the washing machine. And that's huge. We get that. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it amazing, though, how you go... I don't know what your experience was, but you go from that, from the, the amazement of passing the liquor store, to... I, I'm totally speaking for myself. This is almost the easiest thing I've ever done. The quitting part. Not yeah. the living part. Well, it, yeah, because it, it's your because it becomes your new normal. If you really, I think, if you really get sober, and and like they say, you know, your innermost self, you understand you're an alcoholic, and you just can't do it anymore. And this is what they taught me, what they burned into me when I was new. You just can't do it anymore. There is no option. You you've done it all. You know, surrender. Then it does become easy. Yeah. Because you're because that option isn't there, and then you look back, and the other thing, this is the honesty. You know, we 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 glamorize it, but when you look at the honesty of how hard it is to use, you know, you're doing like my sponsor said, you you're doing it. If you're not doing it, you're thinking about it, yeah. and then you're thinking about when you're going to run out and how you're going to get more. It's like a twenty four hour day. Yeah, like it is the job. There's yeah. nothing. And, and it does not allow for anything else. Yeah. And then you get sober and you're like, wow, this is easy. Yeah. Like, it's easier to pay a bill than to avoid the bill collector. Yeah. But you don't know that until you pay the bill. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You said in an interview, um, I used to lie all the time and then I got sober and I realized it's a lot easier to tell the truth. Yeah. Yeah. I used to think lying was a talent. Yeah. Because it's always funny to me when they say, don't lie, you won't remember the lie you told. Yes, you will. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A garden variety. You don't even have to be a good alcoholic to remember what bullshit you told who. Yeah. That's part of the survival mechanism. Yeah, of course. But, yeah, you start telling the truth and you find out that's easier. Yeah. You know, my first sponsor, he told me, he said, you know, paying your phone bill might be the most spiritual thing you ever do. Simply because you've never done it. Yeah. And, and... A friend of mine got my my phone turned on in her name, and I had that phone in her name and that phone number for probably 21 years. Wait, what do you mean? Because you couldn't get one? No, because I paid the bill every month. Because oh. I paid the bill, every, and the only reason that it changed the number in my, into my name was I moved out of the area. Yeah. So I couldn't keep that number. Yeah. But it was very important to me to keep the, from what he said. Like yeah. that's the thing. Like when we're new, people say something and they don't realize how, how much it means. You are. Yeah. And and when he said that to me, it was like pay your phone bill every month. Don't ever lose your phone. And, and it was like, it was, a, it was a big thing. 
I never lost that phone number. I never didn't pay that bill. And it was funny because she got married and changed her name. And, and like, the only bill that was still in her old name right. was my phone bill, right. you know, that I paid every month. And that, that was that was a great thing, you know. It, it, yeah, you're very impressionable when you're new. And, and people are huge. And, and it's a gift now, the gift I get now is when people come up to me and they say, man, I remember when you said, and I don't remember saying it, yeah. but they do, and yeah. that, that's the gift. Yeah, it, it, it is. Uh, you know, I've had that happen. I just, I haven't had it happen a lot, but a girl once said, you don't remember me now, do you? And I said, no. And she said, I went to rehab the day after I talked to you. Uh, you know, you said this, this, and this. And I felt like I've never seen this girl in my life. How is that possible? Yeah. Well, it's like it's like I was telling you about Carrie W. and the mm-hmm. smoking. She's been on the podcast, so I can yeah. say Carrie White. But, you know, she said these things to me, and I'd smoked for 13 years, and I didn't smoke. Not that it wasn't way more hellish than anything I've ever quit, but I never smoked again. I wish somebody had told me that. Like, I have a new guy who I sponsor who his girlfriend's on to quit smoking, and I told him, quit now. Yeah. Quit everything while you're new and just go through it once. I smoked for almost 20 years of my sobriety. Yeah. And I just got sick of it, basically. Yeah. I just got sick of it. And that, that's when I was able to quit. And, um, you know, I wish I had quit sooner. But it's a, it's a good thing. But it's also, if you're not ready, you're not going to quit. Yeah. You know? And now the, the, the vapor cigarettes, the, that's so funny to me because... Like this one meeting I go to, they're all hanging out outside the door, and I remember being those guys. You oh, yeah. know what I mean? They're in their twenties and they think they're cool, mm-hmm. and they're, it's like you're really just fucking annoying. Yeah, but at least <laughs> but, people can identify. But it's who meeting. they need to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah you, you can tell. But it's who they need to be because when I got sober, you could still smoke in meetings. Yeah. Now it was when they was transitioning to non-smoking, yeah. so yeah. there'd be ashtrays and people couldn't now. The idea of smoking a cigarette in a meeting, people would lose their minds. I would. I became a ridiculously self-righteous anti-smoker. Did you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I am. Yeah. See, I'm so. not. I'm not. I'm, not, I'm like, because I did it a long time, so I'm like, do what you got to do. Just don't, don't be annoying with it. You know, don't be blowing smoke on people. But if you need to smoke, I'm okay with it. Go ahead and smoke. You're sober a lot longer than I am. So. Well, I also smoked a lot longer, so I know what it's like to be sober and to smoke. Yeah. Now it's just too much trouble. You got to go outside, and they got to look at you. And, oh yeah, oh yeah. In southern airports where you can still smoke, they put you in a glass box. Yeah, well, in London, when I still <laughs> smoked when I was in college, they, you went into a glass box, mm-hmm. and it made you so sick yeah. that you were like, you weren't like, I'm going to quit. You're like, I don't want to be in this glass box. Right, it's not enjoyable anymore. Yeah. You know? So okay, since you hinted at it. I would like to go into the women troubles, especially because I read this quote where you said, you actually said, I, I don't know if I'll be in a successful relationship. Yeah, I don't know if I'm, I'm capable of it. Um, Why? Well, you know, I once heard Louis Black say, that they asked him about being married, and he said, I'm married to this. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I totally identified, and I'm definitely married to comedy. I love it. I love doing it, and it dominates my life um, in travel, time, and so on. So, it, that that makes a relationship difficult. But the sobriety thing, the real thing, is that that wall that I have 
has been so well crafted and built over the years yeah. that I don't know that I can open it up. You know, I'm at, at ten years right. Well, before no, seven years, seven, six, seven years right. Something like that. I was in therapy, and this therapist she said, you know, the wall isn't to keep people out. It's to keep your emotions in. Okay. She said, you're so afraid of your emotions and you feel things so deeply. Not to say deeper than other people. I'm not trying to make it out like I'm some super... Feeler. Feeler. Right? <laughs> but she said, but you're afraid. So you, you put up this, this wall and you don't let it come out. And I've been in love a few times. I went through a, I went through a relationship in sobriety. And, and 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 it was a relationship and an episode that was um, horrific. Uh, what happened? There was a, a woman who I knew when she came in. I, I had a couple of years more than her, but we always had we were always friends, and there was always a little energy between us, a little mm-hmm. something going on. And we used to hang out at night we'd sit in our house and smoke cigarettes, drink coffee and talk all night and, and really talk about dreams and, and who we were and what we wanted and every we talked about any and everything. And she was the poor little rich girl. She mm-hmm. had been born rich, um, very successful, very beautiful, but never knew who she was. Mm-hmm. And she was always in abusive relationships, literally guys physically abusive, guys who took money from her and so on but we were we were really close and mm-hmm. it was one of those things that everyone was like I don't know why you two aren't together or whatever so I'm I'm dating another girl at the time and and she the girl I was dating she was interesting to me because she was relatively new she was new she was in her first year mm-hmm. so I guess technically I'm 13 yeah started. that qualifies her but she had an understanding of relationships and an understanding of me Mm-hmm. That blew my mind. She was one of the few people who would stand up to me, mm-hmm. and I love that about her. So anyway, me and the girl who I'd known for years, one night for whatever reason, we crossed the line, mm-hmm. and we we and and we were we were in love. Mm-hmm. And I broke this other girl's heart, and and the whole thing. And this is going on publicly because they know each other. They go to we all go to the same meetings, mm-hmm. so this is bad. Mm-hmm. It's very bad. And then the girl who I was. Pursuing the only time I thought I was going to get married because I really wanted to marry her, she freaked out mm-hmm. and she left and moved across the country. Ended up moving in with a guy she met when she was on a plane coming to see me at a gig. Oh my god! Totally all fucked up, right? So now the whole situation is bad. And and my current sponsor, I went to him. I said, Daryl, can you help me? And he said, I'm glad you asked because you were on your way out. Yeah. Like, and and I realized after working with him. And he said, you, the problem is you've never developed a relationship with yourself. You've never learned to love yourself. You've never forgiven yourself. And and he was right. And we worked the steps with that in mind. And, and I've improved. My emotional sobriety has improved. Um, but I didn't... You know, all amends were made. That whole situation went over. But I, but I haven't been able to. And then since then... There have been a couple. There's one that I just describe her as the one who got away. And the mm-hmm. truth is, she didn't get away. I threw her away because, again, I was afraid. It mm-hmm. was fear. And in retrospect, I was afraid to ask her to move to L.A. because she wasn't from here. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how that was going to work. And I didn't know how to be in a relationship or right. live with a woman or yeah. whatever. I was afraid of all of that and, and threw it away. And um, 
when I realized that it was too late, I couldn't get her back. And that, and that's been it. Yeah. And there have been a couple of other relationships, but one, it was one of those where neither one of us literally wanted to say I love you, so that didn't work. Did you love her? And I think I did, but okay. I'm not sure. Okay. And then there was another one where I definitely loved her, but she had been married to a comic. And she said, I can't do that again. She said, it's too hard. Yeah. She said, the ride with you guys is too much. She said, I, I love you, but I just can't do it again. Yeah. And I understood that. So, no, I don't know if I'll, you know, now it's like, because now it's like I'll see her and I play it out in my head how it's not going to work. And it's like, why even bother? Her meaning anybody or her meaning yeah, the last but, one? No, just her. The, right. the one in the meeting. Like, yeah. we laugh about it. You know, my, my buddy, Kenny Bob. Oh, he had me, Kenny Bob had me cracking up. He's an old school comic, been around, whatever. And he's like, yeah, there she is. Oh, man, yeah, falling in love. Well, well we're at the wedding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we found the house. And, you know, it's just some girl at the meeting. Yeah, yeah, Random yeah. girl, and then some guy will give her a hug. What the, who is he? He's moving in on my that wife. bitch is cheating on me, you yeah. know, and we're just cracking up. But that's what you do, right? You see yeah. somebody... And you run the script yeah. in your head, never involving them. In no, the no, all projection and fantasy. Yeah, that's so, the way to do it. Uh, so I'll do that now and then, but no, I don't. You know, and it's just I don't know the game. You know, it's like the whole I got to meet you and talk to you and play the thing. I just it's a lot. Yeah, I don't have it. Yeah, I don't have it. My my game is is retired. <laughs> well, you never know. Yeah, you never know. It, it could happen, and it, it's another thing that's re- another thing that's really funny about it. My parents were married for fifty years when my dad passed away. My first sponsor married thirty something years, and my second sponsor married thirty something years. I've only had two sponsors in sobriety, so theoretically, like I should be You've been taught. a relationship guy. Yeah. I've, I've seen it work. Yeah. I know it could work, but I've never believed it could work for me. Well, or subconsciously you're drawn to that and you know what I'm saying? That's why you, know, you picked those guys. Yeah, it might be. I don't know what's going on subconsciously. Um, I would love to connect with somebody, but I don't know if I can. But, the, but now... That's but the other th- side of it. The women in sobriety have been phenomenal mm-hmm. in my sobriety. I love them, and what the women in sobriety did, what they allowed me to feel, because when I first came in and I was this big angry guy, a lot of guys were scared of me, and the women weren't. Yeah, and the women talked, and I still have friends. I have like my company name is Just a Friend, because <laughs> that used to be my whole thing. I was just a friend, and there used to be these. Uh, how long did you say you're sober? Uh, I'll be 14 in November. 14. Okay, so let's see. No, you weren't around back then. But in the 90s in CA, there were these big conventions in Palm Springs. Mm-hmm. Big. Part thousands. Literally 2,000 people. Take over two hotels, pool parties, and just all kind of, you know, hot. Like, I, we, we would joke there'd be like an informal bikini contest by the pool mm-hmm. where you'd have the west side on one side right. and valley on another and right. random on any, the other, and you know. And and I knew so many, I'd be surrounded by these beautiful women and they'd be like, yeah, friends. Yeah. And they'd be like, oh man, you're like, no, no, friends. Yeah. And not only that, they will not allow women around. They will just dis. 
no. Yeah. You know, I used to do a joke like, she's not good enough for you. What about you? You're not good enough for me. Yeah. But they, they came together and helped me when I went through that relationship thing. They were the ones who were there for me. And we've always been there for each other emotionally, mentally, sometimes physically, not sexually, but like, like the other side of it was if you fucked with one of these girls, like, you suddenly had guys in your face like, yeah, we'll kill you. We, right. we, you have, you know, we have no even second thought. We don't know you. Yeah. You fuck with her, we will beat the shit out. And we tell, and they'd be like, why'd you scare him? Because he wasn't good enough for you. So it was, it's yeah, a I deep love we have for each other. And it, I find that in the program, when they talk about men and women can't be friends, yeah, we can. And we can be super close friends who walk each other through the hardest emotional things in life. Yeah. What about that part that says we can never have a true relationship with another human being? You know, that that part in the you know, in the book where it talks about that in the 12 and 12, if you read it, it actually, the way it's been explained to me, it's kind of like, yeah, we have a sickness that gets in the way, but you find someone whose sickness fits with yours. Right, right. And, you know, I've seen AA relationships. I've seen the worst of them with the drama and the fights and the this and that. And then I've seen some that are amazing. Yeah. And they have a level of communication and understanding that is beyond belief. Yeah. You know, and, and we get both. Um, I have one friend who he says his thing is, you know, sometimes we're man and wife and sometimes we're one alcoholic talking to another. Yeah. And that's a great thing that they found. And they, and this was a couple. They got engaged three weeks after they met. Yeah. And they've been married over ten years. My sponsor was technically thirteenth stepped by her husband. She's been with for ten years, madly in love. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, okay, I'm worried about your time. Yeah. And your and your. Real quick, ticket. let me talk about this thirteenth step because you women get away with murder. We do on it. Thirteenth. Yes, I was thirteenth stepped when I was new. Yeah. I didn't know it yeah. at the time. She it was, was just fun. Really I loved it. Yeah. yeah. Now she'd be considered a cougar. Yeah. But yeah. but yeah, women do it. Women grab new guys. You, I always joke like if you if you come in the program, if you're like I'm out of work and I just got out of jail, ooh, he cute. <laughs> well, I remember yeah. when I lived in New York and the people are not nearly as attractive in the rooms. And I said to some girl who'd been around a long time, I was like, there's nobody, there are no cute guys here. And she said, sure they are. They're called newcomers. Yeah, yeah. And they get, a, you know, and women get a complete pass. Nobody, no, because but, no guy's going to complain. Oh, man, you know, this hot chick brought me home and banged my brains out. Now my sobriety's in jeopardy. Because right. we'll beat your ass if you say something stupid like this. <laughs> well, it's like you have a joke about the teachers. Yeah. I heard you say yeah. that. It's true. You know, it's a dream come true. That's right. These teachers That's right. That when, are... I, when a 30-year-old teacher, I was just in Canada, and they just had another case. Canada follows our scandals late. Right, they right. They have a crackhead mayor. Yeah. Now they, 30-year-old, super hot teacher having sex with a 16-year-old boy, two years in jail. How do you go to jail for making dreams come true? Right. You you didn't. He is not scarred for life. Trust yeah. me. What he has is possibly the greatest story he'll ever have. Yeah. Because he has a picture and he has written proof that it happened. Yeah. Yeah. So I will say I've, I I would say I've never thirteen stepped, but I was thirteen stepped 
by a guy I didn't know in recovery. No, no, no. He th- he made me thirteen step him. I didn't know him, and he claimed to be sober longer than he was. Uh, Doesn't count. A little deception. A little deception. But I've never, and the women I know don't. It's not conscious. Very few people do it consciously. There are a few. There are a few predatory guys out there. Oh yeah. But and which the thing that bothers me about that is the women who know that they're predatory guys. Don't tell the new girls stay right. away from him. Right. I've always wondered why they don't protect the new girl. I but. don't think the women are like the men that you're describing. You know, I don't think women do that. No, not on a predatory level. No, no. but I don't think that the women in AA will do that. Will sort of, you know, it's sort of like there. Well, there aren't. I don't know. I, I this is sort of I'm talking to my ass, but like I don't really see, and I'm not a part of a group of women that will go and say that. I don't go to the meetings where those predatory guys are yeah. anymore, but like I used to, and and they would come around, and then you get to a certain point of respect in your sobriety, and right. and they don't. Yeah, because then they know it's not going to work. Yeah. No, I know some women who like women who I will send women to. Yeah. Like like you need to talk to her. Yeah. Because she's gonna teach you how to be a woman here. Yeah. And and I love them. And I know one group that is like a big I kinda joke about how big their group of women is. They're all sober sisters and they're yeah. generations of sponsorship and this and that. And but but there are some where I'm like, yeah, you know, I'll I'll literally say, Go get her. Yeah. Like, don't let you know what's going on there. Yeah. You help her. And and women don't I don't know why they don't do it. It's harder for women to bond, especially when the hot young or the hot looking woman comes in. Absolutely. We're taught you know? to compete way more. Yeah, yeah. Than and than with I guys, think. we're like, nah. And if the guy looks hot, we'll fuck with him about it. Yeah. We're like, man, you're pretty. Yeah. You know? and, and it becomes a joke or whatever. But yeah, that's something. But I've, but I've seen women blossom recently. Yeah. This woman who was like a dancer and a whole bit, like she changed her whole persona. Yeah. And she's still beautiful and sexy. She can't lose that. Yeah. But it's not who she is anymore. It's It's been interesting. And the woman who helped her was the woman she was most scared of. Yeah. 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 It happens like that. Okay, we got to wrap up. It's great that we're wrapping up on how women should improve in sobriety. No, That's you were talking about a beautiful story about no, it, a woman it, helping another woman. Yeah, it really is. So I, I love it. And I love the women in the program. Yeah, well, can we please end on that now? Yes. So that was Alonzo Bobby. Such a good guy, right? Here, I thought he was so amazing for going with me to get a new a new disc, and really, he donates kidneys. That's what I'm saying about that guy. So, thank you for listening. I'm so happy you listen. Go to Audible, get your free audio book, audible.com slash afterpartypod, and keep listening, and go check out more Alonzo Bottoms.